This morning, the sermon is about Lazarus. And uh, I, I, I have a story I have to tell you before we, we get to that. Because when I was uh, a college student, I worked on staff at a little country church that was way out in the country. I mean, we were way out. We, we were so far out, you had to drive towards town to hunt. It was one of those places. <laughs> and there were uh, just two rows of, of pews, and then, of course, the walls and the windows, stained glass windows, and you came in the back, and there was a door right over there that led out into a hallway where there were restrooms, and then on the other side, there was, there was a little wing that had the Sunday school rooms. And so uh, the pastor that Sunday was preaching about Lazarus, about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And at some point during the sermon, a, a, a woman got up and apparently went to the restroom. And he was, he was really getting into the sermon that Sunday. He was getting really dramatic. And he was walking around all over the place. And he walked over here and he held out his hand and he, he said, and Jesus looked in the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And when he did, the door opened and this little lady walked right in. And it was over. Uh, it, we just, it, it was done. And I don't remember her name because from then on we called her Lazarus. So if I'm not very dramatic this morning, you will know why. Uh, the story we're going to look at is 46 verses long, so I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to basically tell you the story, read a few verses here and there. But this is the last sign in the Gospel of John. The sign of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Four times in four verses, we're told Lazarus is sick. Now, John's trying to tell us something. Lazarus is sick. It's not some sinus infection. He is sick, going to die kind of sick. And so his sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus to tell him that Lazarus is sick. And since Jesus loved Lazarus, and since they knew Jesus had the power to heal people, they assumed when Jesus got word, he would come and heal Lazarus before Lazarus died. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was two more days. Well, that seems like a strange response to me, <laughs> to stay where you are for two more days. If he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, then when he heard he was sick, why would he stay there two more days? You think he would Uber the first camel he could find and go to Bethany and, and heal Lazarus, but he didn't. Lazarus was sick. And he needed Jesus, and Jesus didn't show. Now, we don't talk about this much in church, but we've all been there. <laughs> we've had faith, and we prayed our prayers. 
and Jesus didn't show. We asked God to do something, and the request wasn't selfish. It was reasonable. It was for somebody else. And if God loves us and God's all-powerful, then surely when we throw a lob like that, God could knock it out of the park and get all the glory for it and all the praise for it. But God didn't answer our prayer. And so we watched a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a friend. We watched them die. And we thought God was our friend, but God didn't show. And two days later, Jesus said to his disciples, they're going to go back to Bethany, where Martha and Mary and Lazarus are. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus was using a metaphor. He was going to wake Lazarus from his sleep, meant he was going to raise him from the dead. But the disciples took him literally. And they said, well, Lord, if he's sick, don't you think we need to let him sleep? He'll get better. I mean, that's kind of hospital visitation 101 right there. You don't wake up a sleeping patient. You don't stand on the oxygen tube. The first two, two things they teach you in CPE. And so after yet another example of why when we take everything in the Bible literally, we often miss the point. Um, after a long face palm, Jesus muttered something under his breath and told them, we're, let, we're going, let's go. And when they got to the house, the first person they met was Martha. And Martha ran out to Jesus, and this is the first thing she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's not a statement of faith. That's an accusation. Lord, we needed you, and you weren't here. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Um, you know, Jesus said, Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. And Martha so, well, yeah, I know, you know, they taught us that in Sunday school. One day, you know, at the end of time, we're all going to rise again. Uh, we're all, you know, we'll be there. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I often read those verses at memorial services. And Jesus asked Martha, did, did she believe that he could bring life into the most lifeless situations? And Martha swallowed hard and said yes, even though she wasn't exactly sure what she was saying yes to. And then Mary came running out to see Jesus and some of the mourners who were there with Mary came running with her and basically she said the same thing. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so she was disappointed too that Jesus wasn't there. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. They replied. 
Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. There's been a lot of speculation over that one really short verse. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Well, some say that it was because Lazarus died and he loved Lazarus. That's what the crowd thought in verse 36. But in John's gospel, the crowd is never right. So I doubt they're right this time. I've heard some say maybe Jesus wept because of the lack of faith of the people around him. But I imagine Jesus had gotten pretty used to that by now. I think the reason for his weeping is given up in verse 33. That phrase that we translate, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the Greek, that's a word for anger. (laughs) And in this case, it was anger over the death that was inflicted upon people that he loved. Maybe even anger over his own impending death. Have you ever walked down the hallway in an ICU ward and started thinking about all the people in all those rooms who were fighting for their lives. And sometimes it makes you feel sad, but sometimes it makes you mad that people have to go through that. If you've ever been in a neonatal unit in a hospital, and you think about how ridiculous it is that these newborns are starting their lives off struggling with some physical some seriously physical problem. And sometimes you feel sad, but sometimes it just makes you angry. And if you've ever heard about one more school shooting in an elementary school, and you just don't have it in you to be sad anymore, and you just sit down and cry because you are angry. then you know what Jesus was doing. He wept. He wept out of anger because it made him angry that people suffer and hurt. It made him angry that death plays such a dominant role in our lives. That's why I believe Jesus wept. He wept because he was angry. He was angry that people get their hearts broken And it made him mad when he saw the grip that pain and death have on us. And so his stomach knotted up and his shoulders shook and he wept. And if you ever want to know what Jesus feels like when you hurt, that's the picture. If you ever want to know what God feels like when you go through difficult times, that is the picture. If you want to know what Jesus thinks of our obsession with violence in our own culture, that's the picture. Take a look. He weeps. No one who has ever walked on this earth has hated death and pain and brokenness more than Jesus. And no one has ever done more about it. (laughs) No one has ever been able, besides Jesus, to take the sting out of death and to create life in us. And Jesus knew that life is short and we spend too much of it in anxiety and fear instead of really finding the joy of living and being alive. And that made him weep. 
And finally, he got to the tomb, and once again, he was deeply moved because he looked death in the eye. And Lazarus' body was inside that tomb. There was a stone at the front, and he told him to move the stone. And when he did, Martha tried to uh, stop them. Martha, always the practical one. She says, uh, Jesus, take away the stone, he said. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. I like the way the King James Version puts it. The King James Version, she said, Lord, by now he stinketh. Uh, listen, I, I, my brother Lazarus didn't always smell great when he was alive. Uh, we, I don't think you want to go there. And, and the fact that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days is important because there was this Jewish superstition that the spirit kind of hovered around the body for three days and then after that went to Sheol. To use an analogy from the movie The Princess Bride, for those of you who know that movie, for the first three days, you were mostly dead. <laughs> After the fourth day, you were all the way dead. Now, when you were mostly dead, there was a little hope. But as Miracle Max taught us, if you're all the way dead, there's nothing left to do but rifle through the pockets for change. It's over. And Jesus assured Martha he knew what he was doing. And so he said this prayer loud enough for everybody to hear. And then he looked into the blackness of the tomb, and everyone held their breath. Martha held her nose. They craned their necks. And Jesus said with a loud, I'm not going to do that. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus stumbled out with grave clothes still wrapped around him. And Jesus wiped the tears on his sleeve and he laughed and said, unwrap that rascal and let him go. And here's the key to the whole story. And that, by the way, was the best present Mary and Martha ever unwrapped. But the key to the whole story is verse 45. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they believed in him. See, Lazarus was not the only one that found new life that day. All the people who saw it, they found new life because they believed that Jesus could bring life to them, just like they'd seen him bring life to Lazarus. You know, last week, we, we, we talked about how Jesus healed a man who was blind physically as a sign that pointed to the fact that God not only forgives us of our sin, but he he heals us and helps us to see, to see the world as God sees the world. And today he raises Lazarus from the dead physically as a sign that points to the fact that he brings life to us. That by believing in him, we find life. And, and Lazarus was giving new life physically, but we are given new life that goes beyond the, the biological parameters of breathing but new life, life is worth living. And you know, sooner or later, Lazarus died again, physically. But because of the resurrection, he lived forever. <laughs> because of the resurrection, he didn't fear death like he did the first time. Because he learned that 
God has the final word. See, that's what understanding the resurrection means, is that God has the final word. Death does not have the final say. God has the final say. I love the way Anne Lamott puts it. God always bats last. <laughs> always. And I don't want us to get lost on this focus of eternal life because the life that Jesus came to give us is meaningful, purposeful life now. It doesn't start when you die. It starts when you, start, when you begin to follow Jesus. He was talking about life here and now while we're still above the ground. Finding life with meaning and purpose. We live in such a time of violence and death and fear. We need to hear these words. I am the resurrection and the life. And this gives us hope. Because we don't have to live in fear. Whatever death we are threatened with, Jesus is the resurrection. Whatever lifeless situation we find ourselves in, Jesus is the one who brings life. Life even when we feel like God didn't show up when he should have. Life when we weep at the brokenness all around us. And life when we stand staring into the darkness, holding our nose, not knowing what's coming next. And in a wondrous, joyous surprise, God brings us grace, and God brings us life, and God brings us a purpose worth living for. In all the things we face, all the things that suck the life from us, Jesus is the resurrection. He is the one who brings life back and puts joy and purpose and meaning in our way. He is the resurrection and the life. Amen.